forth, wrote it down in my calendar, and and in July he texted me and said, hey, can we switch to the 10th? And I texted back, sure we can, but then it was gone from my mind, okay? And it was still on my calendar October 24th, and thankfully he's on top of things. Wednesday he texted me and said, we're still on everything for Sunday, and I texted back, yes we are. (laughs) And I called him the next morning and explained to him what happened, but we're good to go and we're glad he's here. Um, Brother Cranston has pastored the Heritage Baptist Church in Burlington, Iowa for how many years were you? 28 years. And in 2008, Sensing the moral and spiritual decline of our whole political process, he was instrumental and he is the founder of Iowa Baptist for Biblical Values. And he'll be explaining some of that to us here today, this morning, and in the Sunday school hour. And so he is full time with that and also as a director of the Awake America Ministries uh, Capital capital Endeavors. And um, we're just thankful that he's here. As we were singing the song, Sound the Battle Cry, I thought this this typifies what he's invested his life in. And um, we're thankful to have him with us today. Lord bless you. Welcome to Sheraton. Amen. Thank you very much, and a blessing to be with you. This is an amazing crowd. I've been in probably 20, 25 churches in Iowa this year. Now, some of those uh, evening services, Wednesday night services, but uh, this this crowd you've got here this morning is just exceptional, and I commend you and uh, commend this church. I was here uh, a number of years ago, I don't know if your pastor remembers that or not, but I was not here to preach. I was here with my brother-in-law who was preaching, uh, Terry Angel, pastors over in Bourbonnais, and uh, had the privilege of coming here, but that's been a long time ago. And uh, in the meantime, <clears throat> we've been just down the road on Highway 34, and I uh, just got to go that way about two hours. And uh, to the east, right at the river there in Burlington... And God led us there in 1992 and took the church there, meeting the community college, and then we spent 20 years in the downtown theater. And then more recently, six, seven years ago, <clears throat> the Lord enabled us to buy a church building on the south side of town. I'll tell you what, if you want to appreciate your church building, spend 24 years waiting to get to one. And <laughs> that, will, that will really help your appreciation for a regular church auditorium. The theater was nice, but had about a six-foot drop from back to front. And uh, so that was uh, steep. And uh, But we're thankful what the Lord's done there. We have a new pastor there now <clears throat> as of January of this year, uh, pastoring the church. We still live there and uh, at this time and uh, thankful for the opportunity to serve the Lord in this ministry full-time. As the pastor mentioned, uh, we started this back in 2008, uh, going to the state capitol and uh, connecting to legislators. I will share more about that uh, with you uh, during Sunday school. But let me just tell you this. Number one, you can be thankful you live in Iowa. I just spent three weeks in California. And you can be thankful you live in Iowa. <laughs> so 
I will tell you that. They, uh, some of the, the things that they are dealing with there. Now, they have a, they're back to holding services in, uh, in most places, but uh, after COVID. But I'll tell you what, just overall, uh, very thankful for our state legislature right now. God has made a dramatic change. And again, I'll share more with you in Sunday school. A dramatic change, a really 180 degree change in the last 10 years in the folks representing us in our state capitol. And I will just tell you this, that is because of believers who have run for office. Uh, I'm talking now state senators, state uh, representatives in Iowa. Then the last 10 years has gone from three or four to probably now closer to 25 uh, born-again believers in the state capitol. And that's why we're getting the good laws coming out of Des Moines. For the first eight years that we as pastors started going to the Capitol. Uh, for the first eight years, we spent 95% of our time fighting bad legislation in Des Moines that would negatively influence our Christian values or our liberty as believers. Uh, this past year, we spent 0% of our time fighting bad legislation in Iowa uh, from a biblical worldview legislation uh, because... Uh, right now in Iowa, there is 0% chance of legislation that you and I as believers uh, would be opposed to. 0% chance of that legislation passing. Uh, let me tell you this. That's a big difference from California as well, yeah. where 100% of our time is spent fighting bad legislation. And good legislation in, in the state of California has 0% chance of passing at this point in time. And so, uh, thank God for our good and godly legislators. I'll mention some of them a little later on. We are continuing to fight a battle for religious liberty uh, here in the state. We still have yet to pass legislation that, legislation that would protect that like we believe it needs to be protected. Uh, pray for us. We have a, uh, a uh, uh, really a, a religious liberty forum on Tuesday uh, that we have initiated and uh, it uh, will be for Iowa legislators uh, at the Capitol and on Zoom. It's not, a, it's not a public event, but pray for that. We're trying to get all the legislators on one page going into the session. We're trying something different this year. Get them on one page going into the session uh, in January with religious liberty legislation. And so pray for that in particular. Uh, that is not something that uh, we have done uh, like this, like we're doing it this week uh, up to this point. But uh, pray that God would br bring a consensus uh, with the uh, legislature uh, on defending and protecting uh, religious liberty. You know, interestingly, I'm sure we have many advocates here of the Second Amendment and, uh, and thank God for our Second Amendment liberties. But there are many laws in the state of Iowa further defining our Second Amendment liberties as there should be. The uh, U.S. Constitution, particularly the Bill of Rights, is simply a benchmark uh, for the liberties uh, that we have in this country, and states have every right and obligation as those liberties are, uh, are come under attack or under duress. The states have the obligation to further protect those and the right to do that, and we have many laws in Iowa further defining, further protecting our Second Amendment rights Thank God for it. But when it comes to our First Amendment rights, 
you will be hard-pressed to find one law in Iowa further defining, further protecting our First Amendment liberties. And folks, uh, I don't know if you've recognized it or not, but those liberties are under attack, and particularly religious liberty today. And so pray for our legislators that uh, they would uh, have a consensus and a will, political will, uh, to move forward. Uh, we think this is a, a good opportunity and maybe, uh, maybe one, a unique opportunity because the redistricting, as you might have read about, is in play, and that is going to really uh, shake up uh, the legislature as far as uh, who's going to run next year. Pray that God will raise up folks once those lines are defined. But many good legislators are going to find themselves in, uh, in different districts now, and things will change. So pray that this year we can get some consensus. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse number 12. Familiar passage. And uh, we're going we're to start with this passage. We're going to come back to it uh, at the end. I want to give you a truth that can be related, and I will relate it a little bit to political endeavors uh, as far as from a spiritual perspective, uh, but it can be applied as well across the board to our homes, to your workplace. Uh, all these things will find application uh, this morning, the church as well uh, in this message. But we'll start here with this familiar passage and then go back to the beginning of the book. By the way, I apologize. My wife wanted to come with me this morning. She's been traveling with me. Do we have any homeschoolers here in the church? So my wife just finished 30 years of homeschooling. So the good news is there is an end to homeschooling. All right? <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, so she has now been traveling with me. But uh, on uh, traveling on uh, Thursday, she uh, got an infection evidently in her tooth. And that is uh, not a good thing for her at this time. So we decided, so hopefully we'll get to the dentist tomorrow, but, uh, but uh, pray for her. And she was disappointed she wasn't able to be with me. But, uh, but that explains that, and so keep her in your prayers. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's very important for us to understand, folks. The devil always wants us to be fighting on the level of flesh and blood. That's in our homes in the church, at work, in Des Moines. And folks, listen, the battle we are in is a spiritual battle. The battle that every one of us woke up this morning to is a spiritual battle. I'm glad you got the victory, the, the, the small victory this morning of getting up and coming to church. And I would guess in a crowd this size, there are some of you where there were some things that were pushing against you being here this morning. But you won the victory, and you came. But folks, that's just a little microcosm. Uh, this old flesh does not like uh, being spiritual. By the way, it's not just true for you, it's true for all of us. <laughs> Sometimes the devil likes to convince us, well, if I was as spiritual as a Sunday school teacher, or as spiritual as a pastor, then I would always want to do the right thing. But no, we all fight this spiritual battle, and it's a battle of flesh and blood, and it's not a battle of flesh and blood, 
But what is it? It's against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Notice this. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. We'll come back to a few of these things as we move uh, through the message this morning. Let's pray as we get started. Lord, I thank you for this time we can come together. I thank you for these folks who've gotten up on a Sunday morning and made church their first priority. Lord, that is something that we see less and less of in this society that is more driven towards materialism than any time in our lifetime. And Lord, I pray now that you would strengthen us. I pray if there is anyone here this morning who has never received you as their Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation. That's the most important spiritual battle that we can only win uh, through your blood and your sacrifice on the cross uh, to pay for our sin. And Lord, I pray now that you would meet with us. I pray you would challenge us and give us the truth that we need, for we ask in your name, amen. I want us to go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3, and we're going to come quickly uh, through the book. I, I tell folks, you know, as a pastor, I used to be able to spend, you know, weeks, months, years teaching a book, and now I've got to do it in 30 minutes, amen? So uh, I get one shot. So, uh, so Ephesians 1, verse number 3, we're going to come quickly through the book. We'll skim, obviously, the majority of it. But I want us to see some things here, and then we'll come back to Ephesians 6, 12 uh, at the end here. But look back to Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, talking about believers, those who have accepted Christ as Savior, with all spiritual blessings, notice, in heavenly places in Christ. So as believers, we have all been blessed with some spiritual blessings. Blessings And verses 3 through 14 identify those. We don't have time to read the passage, but I will just list them. God has chosen us. He has adopted us. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. He has abounded toward us. He has made known unto us the mystery of His will. Which if you study that out in this context here, it's talking about the fact that we will spend eternity as believers with Christ forever in heaven. You say, well, that's not a mystery. Well, that's because He's revealed that to us in the Word of God. He's revealed that mystery of what is going to happen after we die. Folks, you know what? A lot of folks in this world don't know what's going to happen to them after they die. That is still a mystery to them. To the believer, that is no longer a mystery. Praise the Lord for that. And He has sealed us. It goes on. He has sealed us with His Spirit. We don't have to worry about losing our salvation. Amen? Well, that's a blessing because I'll tell you what, if we had to earn it to keep it, uh, we'd all be in trouble. Amen. And so uh, it's, for, it's a free gift and it is sealed by the Spirit of God and cannot be lost. And all of that, if you study the passage, is to the praise of God's glory, not to the praise of our glory. Everything is to the praise of God's glory. And then coming back to this point, he makes the point that our spiritual blessings are in heavenly places. Now that phrase, heavenly places, it's one of two phrases that I'm going to focus on as we move through the chapter or through the book here. And it means high places, high places, which makes sense. Uh, Heavenly places, high places. But here's the point. Our God is a God of the high places. 
He's a God of the high places. When we think of heaven, we think of it as being above. Amen? Of being high. God is seated on the highest place in the universe. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 6.1, I saw the Lord also sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. Our God's a God of the high places. Throughout the Bible, many of man's interactions with God took place in physically high places. God met with Moses on Mount Sinai, on the top of a mountain. Abraham offered Isaac on Mount Moriah, where Jerusalem was later constructed and remains to this day. You go to Jerusalem today, you go to Israel, and my wife had the privilege a number of years ago to visit Israel. And when you're there, they talk about, still to this day, going up to Jerusalem. It sits on a high place. And that, of course, is where Christ will one day rule and reign during the millennium. Uh, Jesus took the disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration, up to a high place. He had the habit as well of going up into the mountains to pray, to a high place. So our God is the God of the high places. Number two, God wants to control the high places of our lives. He wants that high place. Sometimes we call it first place, but it's the same idea. The high place, the first place. Second Corinthians 10, 5 says this, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So it says, cast down every high thing. Anything that takes precedence over God is to be cast down. Why? Because God wants the high place. He wants first place in our lives. Uh, preachers have often proposed the question, who sits on the throne of your heart? Why do we use that analogy of a throne? Because it brings to mind the high place, the important place, the most important place. Who controls the throne? Who controls the high place? Now, as we move on in the chapter here, we find Paul's prayer for the saints based on the spiritual blessings. And look down in verse number 17. There's actually two prayers in the book of Ephesians. I encourage you to take some more time to look at these, consider them, because they are prayers, I believe, that we should be praying, if not for ourselves, and for others. And very good prayers. Sometimes, if we're not careful as Christians, we think the only prayer in the Bible we're supposed to be praying is the Lord's Prayer. And I caution people about praying the Lord's Prayer. You know why? Because it says you ask God to forgive you as you forgive others. Be very careful about praying that if you're not forgiving others. Amen. <laughs> because what you're praying is, Lord, don't forgive me. Amen. And so, uh, so sometimes we say things and we get caught up even, in the, even as believers in these traditions. But, uh, but anyway, there's a good prayer here. Look what he prays. Paul is praying now for the Ephesians that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Folks, you know what? We need wisdom. We need God to reveal truth to us. And we could spend more time on these. We don't have time this morning. We're going to get to a point here where I'll pause. But it says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. We need understanding that ye may know that it can be revealed to us what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So this is a prayer for awareness that you may know, that you may understand. 
You ever had somebody, and boy, you, you, you got something clear in your mind, and you're trying to explain it to them, and they just don't get it? Amen. If you've raised kids, you know what this is like. Amen. If you've raised teenagers, you know what it's like. And if you have grown children, you really know what it's like. Amen. You know, I was under the impression we have eight children, and uh, we just took the last two, uh, started Bible college just last year. They were twins. They were six years behind the other six. And, uh, and, uh, but I was under the impression uh, when all my kids were under 18, that once you got to 18 and, uh, and the kids were out of the house, that you were done raising kids. Was anybody else here under that impression at one point in your life? Amen. Now, if you are still under that impression, I can tell you why. It's because all of your children are still under the age of 18. <laughs> Amen. And uh, so it's, it's not, I'm, I'm just telling you, you'll, you'll find that out. You will become aware of that as, uh, as they grow older. But you try to explain something to somebody. You try to get it across to them. They just don't get it. And so Paul's saying, look, I'm, I, I want you to have some understanding here. I want you to have some awareness And he continues on because this is the main point in the prayer. Verse 19 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of His, that's God's, power to usward. Notice this, power is to us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. So, two things I want to focus on. One, those heavenly places, those high places. Number two, what Paul is praying that they would understand here is the power of God that is available to them. Now, folks, it is so important for us to understand, as believers, the power of God. And in this case, the word translated power, the first time it's used in the verse, is the word dunamis, from which we get our English word dynamite. And as you know, the uh, New Testament, written originally in Greek, And those words sometimes were translated by the authors in different ways. I'm not suggesting they mistranslated them. I'm just saying that those words, this word power, comes here from dunamis. We're going to see the same word power coming from other words. And that can kind of give us a little more light, a little more understanding of the the text here. But this word power here is from the word dynamite. And anytime you see that word dunamis uh, translated as power or strength, or might. It's talking about the greatest form of power mentioned in the New Testament. And this power here, this dunamis power, is the power of God that he says is available to us. Now, think with me this morning. Power is critically important. If the power were to go off in this auditorium this morning, the electrical power, um, the lights go off, and the Uh, PA system goes off and everything else goes off, it would dramatically change the service. And this power, this electrical power, does things for us that are impossible for us to do do without the power. And so power is very important. And uh, in, in every situation, critically important, it is the energy that is required to do what would otherwise be impossible. That's true of the earthly realm. Amen. Took power. How many notice it took some power to get out of bed this morning? Amen. How many you almost didn't have the power? Amen. I've been there before. How many, if you've had back trouble, amen, uh, then you know what it's like to be power. How anybody here ever had back trouble where you couldn't get out of bed in the morning? Amen. And uh, I've had that. And uh, my son-in-law uh, recently, he's uh, 35. You know, 
I've learned with son-in-laws, and I've got a number of them, you know, that when you're walking around and your back hurts and you can't move and these young bucks come along and they marry your daughters and they see you walking around, oh, this hurts. And they're like, what, what is the matter with your weak father? Amen. I mean, come on. And I think sometimes, and there's some young guys in this room today, and you're probably like, you see all these, all these older guys, you know, walking around, and they can't move, and you're like, come on, buck up. Yeah, well, let me tell you something. Your day's coming, brother. Amen. And my son-in-law called me, third dad. Dad, man, I haven't been able to, you know, and they're, every, they're all working, these young guys all. You know, the, the ones who are working out are the ones who don't need to work out, Amen. And they got to go, they got to do, what is it, all the different stuff they got. My kids, you know, as they grow older, they've gotten into all these workout routines and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, man, you don't need to do it when you're 25. You need to be able to do it when you're 55. Amen. But what they find, he called me up and said, oh, my back's hurting. I haven't been able to work out for two months. I said, yeah, welcome to my world. Amen. Welcome to the world of pain. And, uh. And, and But you get older, you find out you don't have the power to do what you used to be able to do. You don't have the strength, and it's usually replaced by pain. But, uh, but this power is so important physically. It's important, folks. Here's the point. It's important spiritually. We need power. Because the arm of flesh will fail us spiritually. In and of ourselves, spiritually, we are power, powerless. But follow me this morning. The power is only as good as its source. How many? I don't know if there are any. Are there any windmill farms close by here? Nothing close by here. You know how many windmills are in Iowa? Over 4,000 now. And as we drive around the state, we'll see these windmill farms, and I'm sure you have too. And sometimes you drive by, boy, and they're just all spinning and and making whatever electricity you're supposed to be making. But I've driven by windmill farms at times, and they're all sitting still. Folks, your power is only as good as its source. And therein lies the problem with wind power. Amen. The source cannot be trusted. But what is the source of our spiritual power that Paul is talking about here? Look at verse 19 again, the last part of the verse. It is according to the working of His, that's God's mighty power. That word there is, is it's not dunamis, it's kratos. It means dominion. It's saying that this power of God, the source of God's power, is a source that has dominion over all other power. In other words, you can depend on it. It's superior to all other powers. And then in verse 20, what's Paul trying to do? He's trying to break through. He's trying to get us to have an awareness and understanding of this power of God. And so he does something. He gives us an example of the use of God's power. You know, if you're trying to d- illustrate or get somebody to understand something, a lot of times you'll say, you know, here's what, here's what it can do. Here's what this did. Here's how it works. Here's an analogy. Here's a comparison. Well, that's what he does here in verse number 20. Look at verse 20. He's going to give us an example of the power of God, <coughs> which he, that's God, wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand. Notice, in where? The heavenly places. So he gives us an example of the power of God 
And it is an example of the resurrection. The exceeding great power that is available to you and to me, folks, here's the good news, is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's a great power. And he, you and I proposed this this morning. The greatest example of the use of power of all time and eternity was the raising of Christ from the dead. You know, I thought about that when I was working on this message. And I thought, you know, it's interesting that Paul did not cite the power of creation when he was looking for the greatest use of power of all time. I mean, it took a lot of power to create the universe. So, and this is, this is just me thinking, so I won't argue this with anybody. And, uh, but, but just think about this. Why would God use the power of, of the resurrection versus the power of creation? Now, again, I, I can't tell you for sure, but here's my thinking on this. At the power of creation, there was no resistance to what God was doing. No pushing back. Well, when you come to the power of the resurrection, all the power of hell, and we'll see that in a minute, all the power of hell was pushing against what God was trying to do. And yet Christ raised from the dead, and folks, He didn't just raise Him from the dead. He took Him all the way back to the heavenly places. didn't just leave Christ on the earth, but He put Him all the way back up in the heavenly places. And that is the power that's available to you and me. It is power that is sourced in the greatest power of all time. We come down to Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 6. He talks about the power of salvation. Folks, this is the same power that saves us. We have no power to save ourselves. I was talking to a young lady yesterday out knocking some doors uh, there in Burlington. And I came across a 21-year-old young lady, and she had come to church uh, more than a decade ago when she was just a 10-year-old, but just happened, God had just happened to put her there, and I began to talk to her about salvation, and I said, hey, how are you, how are you, gonna, how are you planning to get to heaven? She said, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing. Folks, you know what? That won't do it. That's not the power that saves us. And I said to her, are you a sinner? Oh, yeah, I'm a sinner, she said. She understood that. And she realized, and by the time we were done talking, uh, you know, after a little while and taking the Scriptures and showing her through the Scriptures, she let the power of God save her soul. Amen? And that's what makes the difference is the power of God. That's what saves us. And it talks about that in Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, look down to verse. Let's just read verses 1 and 2. And you have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Be saved us, wherein in time past, notice this, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the, notice, power of the air. Here's another power. That word power is translated from the Greek word exosia, which means authority. That's very important. That's not the dynamite power. You know why? Because that's talking about the power the devil has. He is the prince in the power of the air. But the power that Satan has is a power that has been given to him. It's a authority, folks, is granted. You know, when you're driving down the highway, and all of a sudden you see that little red light behind you, amen? And that officer pulls up and comes up and talks to you. You know what? He's just another citizen like you are, but he has been granted authority. That's why you say, yes, sir. Amen. 
or yes, ma'am, whatever the case may be. And you acknowledge, if you're, if you're halfway smart, uh, you acknowledge that authority. But that authority that has been given to them can also be taken away. Ever, or they may not have it in a certain jurisdiction. You ever been driving down the highway and all of a sudden an officer comes by or you see an officer and you're like, oh my goodness, and then you notice that he's from a town, different town, on the side of the car, you know, or different place. And you're like, oh, it doesn't matter. You know why? Because he has no jurisdiction, no authority in that place. But authority, the power of authority is granted. And folks, follow me this morning. The devil has real power. And it is inferior to the power of God. But follow me, it is superior to the power of our flesh. We are no match for the devil in the power of our flesh. And let me tell you something, folks. I would talk, we'll talk more in Sunday school about this ministry up at the Capitol and reaching our legislators. Let me tell you something. That is not a physical battle up there that you can fight with flesh and blood. That is a spiritual battle that is, uh, requires spiritual power. And so we need to understand that this power uh, that is available to us through Christ is superior but, and that the devil also has real power that is inferior. But look at verse number 6 of chapter 2. And he has raised us up together as believers through salvation and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We can have victory over Satan's power Amen. through Christ, through the spiritual power of God. And then we continue down through the uh, book here. And we see uh, chapter 3 where Paul's purpose and unique role in revealing the truth to the Gentiles is described. We go down to verse number 7 of chapter 3. Look there quickly. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. You know what Paul's saying? All the things that I have done for God have been by the power of God. By His power. By the way, that's the word dynamis there. That, that comes from that uh, word, but the, the strongest form of power. Talking about the dynamite type power. Paul says, look, my work for God was done by the power of God. He recognized that. Recognized that it was not his own flesh. Skip down to verse 16. Here's the second prayer of Paul for the believers. He's praying that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Paul is saying, look, I am praying that you as believers will be strengthened by this power. Folks, let me give us just a good suggestion in passing here. When we see another believer struggling, when we see another believer having a difficult time, maybe making some wrong choices, you know one of the best things I think we can be doing is praying that God would strengthen them in their inner man. Because you know what has to happen there? I'll tell you, I've tried to argue folks into doing right. I don't get too far. You know who has to convince them? The power of God. And in a believer's life, and I'll tell you sometimes, and by the way, don't just throw people, don't just say, well, they're hopeless. Folks, listen, we're all hopeless without the power of God. None of us are hopeless with the power of God. And because we have the power of God, we can affirm that there is always hope, even for the person who has gone the furthest direction, even for the prodigal son. Hey, folks, there was still hope. You know why? Because God did a work in his heart. Used his circumstances to wake him up. 
and bring him back. Now skip down to verse number 20 of chapter 3. Now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Notice this. According to the power, that's the dynamite power, the strongest power, the power of God. According to the power that worketh where? In us. Anybody here facing something that you would say is above all that I ask or think? An obstacle, a family situation, a child situation, a work situation, a school situation, a church situation, a government situation. Anybody here? You think we're up against something where we need an answer that's above all that we ask or think? You know what, folks? You know what the devil wants us to do? He wants us to become hopeless. He wants us to quit praying. He wants us to give up. Folks, let me tell you something. Uh, we are not. You say, well, look how, look how bad things are. You know what we need? maybe we need? Maybe we need three weeks over in China as a Christian. Maybe we need three weeks as a Christian in North Korea. Maybe we need three weeks in Iran. And you know what? We would come back here and say, wow, we have a lot of hope back here. Because there are folks over there who are probably looking at a lifetime and... and Undoubtedly numbers looking at martyrdom for the cause of Christ. We are not in that situation. God help us if we give up hope. But that hope's always available. And by the way, it's available to them as well. Because it's according to the power that worketh in us. God's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now we move to chapter 4. And if you take chapter 4, chapter 5, and half of chapter 6, it can be all summed up in the first verse of chapter 4, where Paul has now explained the power, now he says this, look in chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. He's explained to us about the power. Now he says, look, walk worthy of it. Have respect for it. Any electricians in the room here? Anybody who thinks you're an electrician, amen. Here's like to ask how many electricians and nobody raised, you know, one or two may raise their hand. I don't see any hands up. I say, how many have a one of those little electrical uh, things where you stick it in the circuit to see if the circuit's hot or not? How many have one of those? All right. Wait, in the state of Iowa, you've got to have an electrician's license to be legal, all right? So cut that part of the video out, amen? I'm, I'm sure you just have that for no particular reason, right? And so, uh, but you take those. You know why you have that electrical tester? Because you have respect for the power. And you holler down the line, is the circuit off? It's off. It's not off. Amen? Because you tried it one time when you trusted the guy down there at the breaker box, Amen? And you found out you aren't going to do that again for 10 bucks, especially. You can figure out whether or not he's telling you the truth. But, uh, folks, I'm telling you, uh, you have to have respect for the power. And chapters 4, 5, and half of chapter 6 are teaching us how to have respect for the power of God. And, by the way, a lot of it is things that we should not do. You know why? Because God wants a pure people through which to work. He wants a holy people through which to work. Now, I understand we live in a day of Christianity when a pastor stands up and says, look, the Bible says you shouldn't do this. Everybody starts screaming legalism. 
Oh, how can you tell us what not to do? Folks, I challenge that same person to go to a school where they're training electricians and find out how much of the time they're spending telling that uh, new fellow learning about electricity, look, you don't do this and you don't do that and you don't stand in water when you're working in an electrical box, amen, and you lose a, use a fiberglass ladder, not an aluminum ladder, amen, and don't touch this and be sure of this and don't do this and don't do that. You know what? You ought to stand up in that class and say, legalist! Trying to keep me, try, I want to be an electrician, you're trying to keep me from having all my fun. By the way, young people, you better listen to your pastor. We live in a generation today that doesn't want to be told no on anything. And you may say, well, boy, I don't know. I don't like all those rules. You know what? Just like those rules keep the electrician alive, the rules that, that the Bible gives us for living life will help keep us alive and a whole lot happier on the way. But Paul is saying, look, church in Ephesus, and he's saying to us, look, if you want the power of God, you have to walk worthy of it. You know what? If the church wants God's power, you know what? As a church, we have to walk worthy. You know what that responsibility is to every, every church member? It's to live a holy and a pure life. It's to confess our sin on a regular basis. It's to keep our hearts right. It's to say, hey, there's something more important about the church being right than it is about me getting my way. Amen. We've got to be pure. We've got to be holy to have the power of God. Now, skip down. Let's go down to Ephesians 6.10. I'm going to finish up here. Finally, my brethren, he's all done now. He's explained how to walk worthy. We don't have time to go through it. I encourage you to look through that. He says, finally, so he's coming to the end. Amen. Finally, my brethren, be strong. That's a word, by the way, rooted in that word dynamis, that dynamite power. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil so you can overcome his power through the spiritual power of God, overcome temptation, overcome addictions, overcome all the things in this life that try to get us off track. We need the power of God to do that. He's saying be strong in the power of the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God. Now let's go back to verse 12 where we started. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. By the way, that word is the word ark in the, in the Greek. It's the same word used for archangel. Folks, listen, I just believe, and you look at the Scriptures here and other places, I believe there's obviously a spiritual battle going on with spiritual forces. We might call them demons. The Bible calls them devils, the angels of Satan. But we see this, and there is a hierarchy to them, but against principalities, against powers. Notice this, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, where? In high places. Now, folks, here's the point. God wants to control the high places, and so does the devil. The devil wants to control the high places. He wants to control the high places in our life. He wants to control the high places in society. When he got kicked out of heaven, Isaiah chapter 14, what did he say? He said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, not the south. The south is down. The north is up. The devil wants the high places. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. 
I will be like. What did Satan say? He said, I will be like the most high. He wanted that high place, but he couldn't get it. God kicked him out of heaven. And now he's come down this world. And folks, you know what he wants down here? He wants the high places. Our lives, our homes, our schools, our churches, our workplace, our society. Folks, let me tell you something. He wants the high places up in Des Moines too. He wants the high places of government. Don't tell me God's not interested in government. He's coming back. Jesus is coming back. He's not coming back to set up a club. He's coming back to set up a government on this world. The government shall be upon His shoulders. But there's somebody else interested in government. And that's called Satan. And that's why Antichrist, he's not coming to set up a club either. He's going to take all the governments of the world and put them, Satan is, under the control of Antichrist. Because he's interested. He wants control of government. I go up to the state capitol, and I've been in a number of state capitals now across the country, and most of them uh, have a dome on the building. That's an interesting thing. I've gotten to think about that. That dome signifies, you know, in my mind, it signifies, hey, here is the seat of government. Here is the seat of power. Folks, government is power. We're finding that out, aren't we, in the last year and a half. Government is power. And you have these domes, whether it's the U.S. Capitol. We have a beautiful dome. If you've been in Des Moines in the Capitol, a beautiful dome there. And, and I've stood under that dome many times in the rotunda over the last 10 years talking to legislators and, and working with folks there. But there have been times when I look up in those domes, in that dome, in the other domes, and I wonder if we could see with spiritual eyes. I wonder if there, if we would not be able to see a spiritual battle going on in those domes. I don't know that, but I know this. I've had legislators, Christian legislators over the years, come to me in in Des Moines, and they have said to me uh, occasionally, they have said, look, there is an evil spirit in this place today. I'm telling you this. The devil wants power. He wants the high place. Government is power. You think about the Dome of the Rock over in Israel. Isn't it interesting? You've got a dome. That's not the power of God sitting on that spot. We know that today. But isn't it interesting, that dome. Now, folks, I'm just saying this. The devil wants to control the high places in society. And the battle facing every believer is not a battle of flesh and blood. It's not a battle of flesh and blood on a personal level. It's not a battle of that on a political level. It cannot be relegated just to Republican versus Democrat. It's a spiritual battle against a spiritual enemy who is seeking to control the high places of this world. And here's the good news. Though we are powerless in and of ourselves through Christ, we have direct access to the power of God. But you know what, folks? We need to use, you know what we need to be doing? We need to be praying. We need to be living holy lives. We need to be calling on God and asking for Him to intervene in our lives personally, in our family, in our church, in our city, in our state, in our nation. And how do we access that? Look in verse number 18 of chapter 6. We'll finish here. It says, Praying always with all power and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You know how you access the power? You know, if we want to access the power here, you know, we have to find a receptacle and we plug into it. Amen? 
There's an electrical box somewhere in this building coming into it this morning. And there's a big switch on the top, a master switch. And folks, listen, you can have all the power that you need to run this whole operation. But if that switch is turned off, it's not going to do us a lick of good. And folks, as believers, we have all this power of God available to us. But let me tell you something. If we're not plugged into it, it won't do us any good. You know how we get plugged into it? Through prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. You know how you can tell if you've given up on something? If you've quit praying for it. If you have somebody who you say, you know what, it's not even worth it to pray for. You know what the devil says? Hallelujah! We just got the victory on that one. We just got disconnected from the power. You know what? If there's no power in the, if there's no prayer in the church house, there'll be no power in the church house. Prayer is the way we get plugged in. And that's why Paul finishes here by saying, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Prayer is the key. You know what that tells me? The victory is ours if we want it. Amen. Let's have heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. The victory is ours if we want it. Lord, we come to you today. I thank you for this time we look into your word. Lord, I pray, however this message might need to be applied, maybe some here that are not saved, maybe others who are dealing with issues where they've just been tempted to give up, maybe some other way, Lord, you want to apply this message today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder how many would say, Brother Cranston, I know I'm saved, I know I'm on my way to heaven, and you slip your hand up as a testimony of that this morning. Just slip your hand up.